When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find a see. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by AgDirect. And I've got Greg Roberg back on here. Man, I about tried to combine three names there at one time, Greg. I got you back on. You got you back on. Good, man. How you doing, man? I'm good. You can call me lots of things. Just don't call me late for dinner. I hear you. I hear that one. Yeah, so it's good to have you back on, Greg. A lot of stuff moving around here. We start looking at interest rates and what's been going on in that environment. Um, I guess we'll start there first. You know, take a look at what the Fed said. Um, hey, we're gonna we're gonna pause a little bit on these interest rate hikes, but we're definitely gonna come back in. We just don't know when and, and raise some more rates and so don't get used too used to it. I guess kind of your reaction to that and, and what your, what's AgDirect's kind of thought process now moving forward. Yeah, that's a great question. That seems to be kind of a moving target every day, yeah, Casey. It does. Yeah. On, you know, whoever seems to have the loudest voice that day, the market seems to react. Mm-hmm. So the Fed meets Federal Reserve. Yeah. 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 Uh, they meet eight times a year. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's different every year. But this year it was May, June, and July. So the Fed went up in May. They said in June we're going to take a break. Um, there's a 98% chance or something like that that they're going to go up in July. They meet the 25th and 26th of July. So the market 
is expecting another quarter hike on July 26. They take August off. They come back in September. Um, who knows what they'll do then? And then we've got uh, November 1st and mid, mid-December after yep. July. So the smart money or the I guess the experts say we'll see one more bump in July and probably a 50-50 chance we'll see one more yet this year. So the good news is, is we should be on the end of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, in a presidential election year, which 24 will be, the Fed tends to kind of stay the course. That's why my personal opinion would be is we'll see two more hikes, so they don't have to do another hike in uh, the 24. Mm-hmm. Um, but some new information is coming out as you look at about 18 months from now. There's about a 98, 99% chance we'll have lower rates from the Fed, or the Fed funds rate in December of 24. Okay. So the market's starting to build in a reduction in Fed funds rates sometime in probably the second half of 24. So time will tell. Yeah. Good news is, is hopefully most of the pain is over. Bad news is, is we're probably going to have rates where they're at here for probably the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess it's something to look forward to, I guess, right? Have yeah. something, something to do there. Uh, it'd be interesting to watch to see what happens if if the Fed comes back in in July and says, "Hey, you know what? We're gonna we're not gonna raise rates," and see what the market does. Because I think the market would just go screaming hot crazy if they saw that there weren't going to be any any interest rate hikes in July. Because maybe that would indicate that there would be maybe that December time frame you would see one more, and that might be might be it. But it's going to be a it's going to be definitely something to pay attention to and watch because it has such a um everyone's trying to guess the market with these algorithms that they have now and mm-hmm. they have them all programmed. And I love watching when something happens that's not supposed to, and it just blows everything up. So to the yeah, jury right now, yeah. as I mentioned before, it kind of depends on whoever's talking, uh, mm-hmm. the market can react to, but the one that seems to have the loudest voice in the room is chairman Powell. Yeah. And he's, he's been very clear. They're not going to uh, take the brakes off, you know, until they're sure we're at 2% mm-hmm. inflation. So yeah, He's doubled down. I, again, I, it's pretty much foreseen conclusion we're going to get a bump in July. Yep. Just a 50-50 chance if we see anything by Christmas. Yep. They, have, they did say, you know, he did say we may we might stop raising, but it doesn't mean we're going to go backwards anytime soon. Exactly. And that's and that's going to be a, that's the true tale. When that first starts to happen, that's going to change the dynamics as well. So interesting things to watch. Plenty of uh, plenty of uh, fodder there for a, for a podcast called the Moving Iron Podcast to talk about over over the next uh, course of these 24 months or so. so Yeah, a couple of things I watch is, is mid-month, uh, the CPI inflation numbers always come out. Yep. So for listeners, that's always something to keep an eye on. It tells you if inflation is going up or down or staying about the same. That will yep. help give us some insights of what the Fed's going to do. And then usually, and then always at the end of the month, there's some consumer expenditure information mm-hmm. or data that comes out. So those are kind of two events each month that can kind of give us some insights. Certainly the market is watching those two things. Yeah. Yeah. CPI stuff has, has been uh, oddly, you know, it's been kind of watching that move and it's been, the CPI numbers have been moving in a different direction than what the, than what the market would tell you that it was that they're moving. And so you're, you're starting to see some, some, uh, you know, the, the inflationary stuff you're seeing there is starting to come down quite a bit and it's been coming down for a long time. So interesting to watch that move. And, you know, Rich Posse comes on here and talks about that quite a bit. And it's, uh, he, he's never been on the recession train. Um, 
and a lot of people are, are starting to change their tune a little bit about about a possible recession. So it'll be it's you know you know your guess is as good as mine as to what as to what's actually going to happen. So we'll have to pay attention and and stay tuned, I guess. Yeah, so I feel pretty confident saying the the largest pain is over yeah. as far as the amount of rate hikes and the, and the mm-hmm. pace of it. Um, so that's good news. I, I, yeah. I'm an optimist, so I wake up every morning. He's like, we're one day closer to get through this. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, let's talk about some programs you guys got have going on over at AgDirect. Um, one of the things I think that's, uh, especially this time of year, as we start looking at um, grain handling and those kind of things, you have some uh, special programs on skid steers and wheel loaders. Yes, our loaded program. We just came out with that here this month, uh, July. So skid steers and wheel loaders uh, have special lease residuals. Okay. So it gets those payments down for anybody that's looking at a lease. Right now we're seeing a lot of cash buy-in, Casey, mm-hmm. and, and loans or purchases more than leases. But I f- think folks will start taking a closer look at leasing uh, You know when the payment makes sense. Yeah, and for so sure. Encourage, encourage folks to go out and take a look. You can go to agdirect.com or you can upload our mobile app on AgDirect Mobile, and you can just click interest rates or you can click special lease rates. We also have a combine app program with some better residuals on combines. You know, if people are particularly looking for uh, adding another combine or maybe replacing combines, uh, I've, I've heard you say there's a lot of good late model use combines out there. And we've that got there some is. residuals on used combines to help uh, get those off dealers' lots. So yep. check us out. That mobile app is really handy. You can see all the rates. You can see our lease programs. You can run quotes. Um, you can check out quite a quite a few things just in the palm of your hands there. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So, um, Greg, what's the mobile app? It's just AgDirect app. Go to the App Store. You can find it out there anywhere. Yeah. Just type in AgDirect Mobile. When they awesome. go to Google Play or the App Store, it's free. Um, it's very easy to use. So it's got cool. everything there that you might want to know about AgDirect and, and making a good buying decision. Awesome. All right, Greg, folks want to reach out to you and get more information about other things going on in AgDirect. What's the best way to do that? AgDirect.com. We keep that updated. We got lots of good articles on there, you know, about depreciation, what's going on in the market, things that AgDirect offers features and benefits, some of those kinds of things. You can find a territory manager on there. Just click on, you know, whatever state, and uh, you can call the territory manager. If you want to talk to us, we're based in Omaha. We'd love to hear from you. 888-525-9805. Give us a call. We'll help you out. Right on. Well, Greg, I appreciate you being on the podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you next month. Hey, great seeing you, Casey. Thanks for having me. Thanks, bud. Take care. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by the good folks over at AgDirect. And I got Tanner M. Key from CoBank back here with me. Tanner, how you doing, man? I am great, Casey. Great to be back with you. Thanks for coming back on, man. It is, uh, we, I think we have more stuff to talk. We could just spend two weeks doing a nonstop podcast and never cover everything that, we, that we've that uh, we got to talk about here. We've got, we got a few things coming up. Um, I've got about three topics. <clears throat> Excuse me that I want to hit and get your opinion on, on what you see happen out there. First, let's start with um, the Fed meets on the 25th. Everyone's assuming, hey, you know what, we're going to raise rates again. That's going to be, it's a foregone conclusion. That's going to happen. Um, 
they've been beating their chest about no matter what happens, by God, we're, com we're coming back in and we're raising rates. What happens if they don't, Tanner? Well, <laughs> when the market has baked in a, uh, a rate hike and then, if it, and, then, and then they don't do it, mm -hmm. uh, that would be uh, probably extremely bullish on, um, on markets. Um, I mean, it, it would shock the market in the opposite direction. So, uh, but I, I mean, I, I, I suppose anything is possible, but uh, inflation is still above uh, the comfortable level. Uh, they still want to get it down to uh, 2%. That's their target. We still got a little bit of way, little ways to go there. Um, inflation on a lot of, the, a lot of uh, you know, important uh Drivers of inflation, especially energy, has been down substantially, and that's the main reason why we saw uh, the CPI come down is because fuel prices have come down so much. Um, but if you look at other measures of, uh, of inflation, uh, rents are still very high. Uh, there's uh, a lot of uh, services are still very high, and so uh, once you account for uh, the volatile food and energy factors of inflation and take those out, it's still it's still uncomfortably high for the Fed. And when you look at the language from the Federal Reserve, they're quite hawkish uh, still. They still feel like they're on a mission. And um, so I, based on their language, based on the data, I think uh, it's it's the, the market has is fully anticipating a, a rate hike on the 25th. Uh, now, if they did not, uh, that would be that would be a real shocker uh, to a lot of people. The question is if they would come back in September uh, and do it again. Then I think uh, I think I think probably the market would be uh, is anticipating that this may very well be the last one. Um, but you know we got to see more data come in uh, before uh, before we can really make that assessment. We got to have a couple more months of data to evaluate. Before we get to September, yeah, I was. I I'm with you because I think you know if you look at where we're at, I don't. I just hypothetically, I don't. I think they're going to raise rates, but it was more one of those deals where I'm, I'm thinking about it from they're going to try. I think they might squeeze in one or two more um, rate hikes this year, and then move it into 24 since it's an election year. They're not going to try to jack it too much just because it's an election year and and do the whole yeah you know, whatever. Well, you, you would hope that the Fed is apolitical, but... Oh, come on, Tanner. You're better than that. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. I mean, they, they present themselves right. as data-driven, yeah. uh, and right. I would like to believe that. Maybe that's my, my wishful thinking. Your, yours and mine both, but yeah, right on. All right, so uh, I'm curious what you're saying there. So you take a look at the big news that came out this week, I think, that has more of an impact than what people are giving it credit for. And, I'm, and it's, a lot of it's already kind of been baked into this whole thing anyway, but this whole Black Sea corridor deal and what the UN's yeah. trying to do with Russia and, and Russia's saying, we don't care, we're, we're shutting everything down. Um, we're we're, we're going to inspect every ship coming in and out. You know, if they don't let us inspect it, we're going to blow them up. And it's a whole, a whole mess. They've uh, done a pretty good job of blowing up critical in infrastructure since they said no. To uh, Odessa, so even if they could come in, I don't know how much of that stuff's even operational to where they could even make it work. You start looking at the rail system situation between Ukraine and the rest of Europe, and it's a different gauge, so it's a whole thing. So, 
I guess I'd like your kind of long-term thought about this a little bit. When you're looking at Ukraine, and it's the fourth largest grain producer uh, in, on the planet, and you now have a place that is effectively offline for the foreseeable future. Yeah. What's that doing to world supply? What's that doing to um, price? What's that doing to, you know, another Arab Spring type situation popping up somewhere in the world, um, like we saw in 2012? Well, there's a few things we need to unpack on uh, Ukraine. First of all, uh, their production is already down by half, sure. uh, their grain production. And that was the market uh, is already aware of that. That's not new news. Um, secondly, they've uh, found alternative routes uh, away from the Black Sea because of all this this talk that uh, Russia has done um, leading into uh, them uh, pulling out of the deal. They said they were going to pull out of the deal, and so the markets had been uh, adjusting uh, to that ahead of time. They'd stockpiled, you know, buyers had stockpiled. Um, at the same time, uh, routes, uh, shipments have increased through the Danube River. Uh, that has been that has been a release valve, relief valve on uh, supply, and then uh, overland with uh, rail and truck. All of that is less efficient, but it is a way for that grain to move out of the country. And in fact, we imported some into the U.S. Uh, from Poland because. Um, Polish grain prices have dropped so much because of that exodus of grain out of Ukraine over the border into, into Poland. That dropped the Polish prices, and it made sense uh, for, them, for, the, for the U.S., uh, I think it was Ardent Mills, uh, that brought that grain uh, over to uh, Florida. Uh, it was uh, several uh, boat cargoes of, uh, of wheat, uh, or several loads of wheat, rather. So at any rate, uh, the market has adjusted to this. Uh, what was probably not anticipated was that uh, Russia was going to start uh, sending missiles and drone attacks uh, on Odessa, uh, which is their major grain exporting uh, port. And you know there was some question about whether Russia really meant it or not, because last time they did this, uh, they said they were going to back out, and then they said, sorry, we're just kidding, we're going to stay in. And that was probably due to uh, political pressure from Turkey and China, uh, China being the number one destination of the grain shipments out of, uh, through the Black Sea Corridor of Ukrainian grain, and Turkey being number three. They were both major beneficiaries. And uh, Putin needs that political support. Well, so it's almost a little bit of a head-scratcher here, like, wow, Putin, you're, you're really trying to upset your friends in China. Is that what you're trying to do here? Uh, I wonder what's going to happen next. They really have been, uh, over the last couple of days, uh, making a concerted effort to damage their grain exporting capabilities uh, in the Black Sea, uh, which is just going to further hasten the movement of Ukrainian grain uh, into Eastern Europe over land via truck and rail, but mostly through the Danube River. And those shipments have increased substantially. So uh, the market has adapted to this. Uh, now I think what was what uh, what the market is trying to under, trying to figure out now is how much uh, of this of these Black Sea shipments are really offline now. Is, is Ukraine going to be shipping any more grain whatsoever out of the Black Sea? Uh, what may happen, I think, the, 
longer term here is that because of the grain movement or the grain shipments having to shift entirely to the Danube and overland into Eastern Europe, what's going to happen then is local prices in Ukraine are going to drop because that is so much more costly uh, through those uh, alternative transportation routes. And so that's going to lower uh, cash prices in Ukraine. And that's ultimately for this planting season is probably going to reduce planted area uh, for uh, this fall's crop. It's going to be uh, wheat that gets planted this fall, so it's probably going to further reduce some of the wheat acreage, but we're not going to see the direct impacts of that supply reduction until next harvest, uh, which is uh, a year from now. So uh, a lot to unpack there, but, um, you know, who knew... You would think that China's going to tap on uh, Vladimir Putin's shoulder and say, hey, knock it off. I want some of that grain. Um, but remember, there are still, still alternative sources, uh, still alternative origins. Uh, Russia is exporting wheat at a record pace. Uh, so that has been an alternative uh, for grain buyers. Um, now, that being said, longer term, we still have some concerns about global supply. Uh, and I wouldn't say this is necessarily about Ukraine. Now we're talking a global picture here, really, Casey, about uh, the impacts of La Nina or El Nino on Australia's crop. Now we've got uh, some growing problem, growing issues in uh, India. So there's there's a lot to be concerned about here outside of Ukraine when it comes to uh, supply and demand. Okay, so that was the next thing I wanted to bring up and talk to you about was just that very subject. There was. With India, so India has kind of been the glue that's been holding the world food supply together. As you look at rice and and, and wheat, they've uh, earlier last year they said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna chill out on on wheat exports. We're not gonna stop rice exports." Um, and about two weeks ago, or maybe a week ago, they came out and said, "Hey, you know what? We're really thinking about maybe stopping wheat or stopping uh, rice uh, exports, rather, and uh, we're gonna start looking at." what's best for India. I mean, we're maybe becoming a net importer ourselves based on the last seven years have been the best seven years of agriculture in Indian history. So you start looking at, at that picture. Here we are kind of at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to supply. I guess what is you're looking at your crystal ball here, the wheat to rice ratios and all those things that, that are starting to come into play are starting to just get crazily far apart. I mean, just absolutely blowing up. Looking at um, you know pricing for wheat and those kind of things down the road, I've heard guys kick around 10, 11 bucks uh, next year if, if everything kind of stays the same. When you're looking at, at that wheat market, what, what are your thoughts there long term? I'd say yeah, there's the bullish, bullish case uh, longer term for sure. Um, and I, you know, I think uh, yeah, like I said earlier, um, this is more of a story about what's happening outside of Ukraine than what's happening inside of Ukraine. So as you pointed out, um, uh, with rice and, uh, and wheat, uh, the stocks-to-use ratio on uh, global wheat uh, outside of China, and that's important because uh, China is the biggest stockpiler of grains and oil seeds in the world, and those are non-tradable stocks. So the, the stocks-to-use ratio of wheat outside of China is the tightest since 2000, the, the 2007 crop year. So we got to go back more than a decade to see the stocks to use as tight as it is. Uh, and now uh, we have India. Stocks to use on India outside of China, or excuse me, outside, st global stocks to use outside of China is the tightest in a couple of years. 
Now we have to take into consideration this announcement this morning that India is foregoing all uh, non-Basmati uh, wheat, or excuse me, rice exports. Uh, and India accounts for 40% of the global rice trade. Well, this is going to be quite a shocker uh, to the global markets, I think. Uh, I would imagine there's going to be a lot of pressure on India to reverse this, um, although it has been... Um, uh, you know, it, it's been India's policy uh, to maintain low food prices uh, in that country. Um, you know, they've also been subsidizing uh, farmers heavily with their inputs and guaranteeing uh, grain prices. Uh, this is, you have to wonder how sustainable this is because inside of India, I don't believe they're uh, desperately short of, of supplies because the government had been stockpiling. Uh, so this may be a political, it is obviously a political move uh, for um, the favor of their uh, rice-consuming population, which is uh, over a billion people. And so um, I, I wonder how much, uh, how long they, they'd be able to do this. Uh, I want to analyze this a little bit more, Casey, to see how sustainable this policy is. Uh, because with uh, India accounting for 40% of the global rice trade, if they just... Uh, halt those exports uh, suddenly, uh, we're going to be in an extremely tight situation on rice. Uh, and you made the con connection there a little a little bit ago about the wheat to rice price ratio. That's going to uh, shift more demand over to wheat because those are the two uh, major food grains, wheat and rice. And if people outside of India cannot afford high rice uh can, or far, afford high rice uh, prices, then they're going to switch to consuming uh, the alternative, which is uh, wheat. Right. And so you're going to have a demand shift there, and those two uh, are going to interplay, and that's going to put more demand pressure on wheat. And so now we start to see uh, a quick tightening of uh, the global uh, food grain uh, balance sheet. And, and we're talking when we say food grain, uh, wheat and rice combined. So a lot uh, of this happening at us uh, very quickly here with this announcement from India. I, um, right now, the wheat market is responding mostly to what's going on in Ukraine, but I imagine here uh, it's going to start to wake, it, wake up to some of this shift in demand, perhaps, uh, from rice over wheat. Yeah. When you look at um, so when you look at that big picture and you look at what's going on in the U.S., I mean, we've got <clears throat> our wheat crop was what it was, right? It's not by any means a great crop. You look at, although I think there was some surprising points when they actually got the combines in the field, but in certain spots, but overwhelmingly it was a, a bad crop. Um, when you're looking at, um, so the, the corn crop that we have right now, there was all that concern moving up till these rains came in, um, and, and now we've, we've, we've saved what's available for the crop right now. Um, is it still going to, is it going to be a banner crop? No one knows yet what that looks like. Obviously, it's not going to be a bumper crop, but it's going to. Where's it, where's it going to fall in at, and what damage was irreversible from from that situation coming in earlier this year? And then you take a look at um, the heat that we see coming in now. This next week is really getting hot, um, and a lot of the a lot of the rain that was in the forecast has been taken out. Uh, I know my neck of the woods out here. We're looking at. 96, I think, is the coolest day for the next 10 days. And, yeah. and you start looking at how that's going to – we're dry out pretty quick out here. 
you start looking at the pressure that's going to be put on the soybean market. Soybeans, you know, we've seen what corn did after the the uh, the report, um, uh, the WASRI report here earlier uh, this month, and it, you know, it took off a huge amount of money off of soybeans. We saw everything kind of crash, and it all came back the next day, and it's been climbing up. We're at you know 550 December corn last time I looked, maybe a little more than that. Um, are you anticipating to see the price of soybeans run up based around this weather market that we're in? And if things assume that they continue the same pattern that we are expecting to see, could we see $7 corn again and, you know, $18, $19 beans? Well, as long as we're in the, we're going to be in this, uh, this warming pattern uh, with the, the moisture condition we're in right now in the Midwest, yeah. That's definitely a possibility. Uh, July is the key month for corn. That's uh, when it's entering pollination, and it's you know, have, over half the crop is silking right now, and that's not uh, heat is not good on that because so much right. it's you know the, 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 it's moisture uh, that that's you know you can dry that. There's very those silks are very moist, and so right. when it gets really hot, it can damage uh, uh, the uh, pollination, and that's ultimately going to impact uh, how many kernels you have on, on the cob. And so the uh, or on the on the corn, and so the uh, the drought and plus heat is a terrible combination at this point in time when the most when the crop is in its most vulnerable state. So this is absolutely not good news for corn, and so um, we're going to need some uh, cooler temperatures and some rain here very soon if we're going to maintain uh, our uh, top yield, our top end of the yield potential. Remember also that we also had a major expansion in corn acreage uh, in the June acreage report. The corn picked up over 2 million acres, a lot of that uh, from soybeans. And so uh, the market is still factoring that in as well. Uh, But right now, uh, we we know what the acres are. Um, It it is an expansion. And so right now, uh, we do have a a looser balance sheet on corn than we did last year. However, if we continue to see yield potential drop, and it could start dropping very quickly with these rising temperatures, then suddenly we could be in a tight balance sheet situation again with corn. So the market is having to dial in uh, the heat and the drought right now and uh, pricing in that possibility that things could get uh, tight again on corn. Now, as for soybeans, the more critical month is going to be August. Uh, that's when it's going to be setting ponds. Uh, right now, uh, the soybean crop is blooming, uh, but the pond setting is going to be the very critical period, and that's happens mostly in August. And uh, that's a little bit further out yet, uh, but um, if we're going to be, in, again, in this pattern, then it's going to be bad news for soybeans. All right. Okay. All right, Tanner, I think that's a, probably a good place to stop. If your last thoughts there, if you're looking out at at the remainder of 23 going into 24, what are your thoughts on what are you paying attention to as far as some, some real indicators that are going to change the way we look at business here in 23 going into 24? Well, uh, I think we saw it this morning. Uh, India decided to do their uh, protectionist move. Uh, we'll see where that goes. I think the story is, become, is going to become more about the weather and El Nino. Uh, right now in the U.S., that's absolutely the issue. But we need to see how this plays out uh, for El Nino. In regards to El Nino for South America, they don't begin planting our crop yet uh, for several months. Uh, But if it doesn't play out as the way we tend to think of El Nino, um, 
which is generally positive for South America and Brazil especially, uh, then we're going to be in a uh, we could be in a tight situation again uh, because ocean temperatures are different than what we normally see. The ocean temperatures are higher, and so that could throw off the El Nino trend. So. And so we may not get um, the favorable uh, weather in South America. So now if we have uh, heat and drought in the U.S., plus perhaps less favorable growing conditions in South America as well, given that it is still a far ways out, uh, that's still a possibility. And then now all of a sudden we're in a tight situation with corn in addition to wheat and rice. And now things can get quite uncomfortable uh, for the marketing year ahead. So there's a lot to watch there. I think we really need to have uh, some favorable weather here to turn, turn things in, turn things around. Right on. Okay. Tanner, appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Get stuff as usual. Folks, want to reach out to you, get more information about what it is that you're doing over at CoBank. What's the best way to do that? I think go to our website, cobank.com, C-O-B-A-N-K.com, uh, and then you can find our research on the Knowledge Exchange tab. Tons of free information out there. That's really good stuff. Guys, go check that out. There's so much... So much stuff out there for free. I feel a guilty reading this out there. So. <laughs> hey, we're hey, we're part of the farm credit system. We're here to serve farmers and ranchers all over the U.S. Right on. Well, Tanner, you do a good job of that. Thanks for being on the podcast, man. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, Casey. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast, and go to the YouTube channel, which is on the uh, Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related. Get all the information for the upcoming Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. Good data. I mean, good time to come to that. If you're really interested in doing that, that fills up here pretty quick. We're getting really close to being sold out. So if you want to come to that, send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com if you need more information or just fill out the information there on the website and you'll get that all taken care of. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Tanner Emke. Let's go move some iron, folks. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher, time and time again. Through the years, you'll find us here. Moving higher.